brand new podcast. Uh, we are pint-sized reptiles, which I I feel the name is uh, could be misleading if somebody really wants to like, just drink and talk about reptiles. It feels like we it's, can we can do that too. It's true. You you guys can drink and I'll I'll drink my soda. There you go. Uh, I'm not a big drinker, so I'll be joining you in the soda department. Nah, I'm sure Travis drinks whiskey, just straight whiskey out of the <laughs> bottle with a straw. Well, it's 10 a.m. here, so I'm drinking Mountain Dew. <laughs> <laughs> but Pine Size Reptiles is about all your reptiles that are small. Everybody, everybody loves the big ones. You always, that's the one like TV always wants to show you. Giant snakes eating people, which was a horrible, horrible show. Either one of y'all ever watched that one? Eating no. alive. Oh, God. Okay. Anyways, that was I, whole... I, I heard about it, and I mean, Joe had him on his podcast. Yeah. And he was very unhappy with how... He was portrayed. There was no way in signing up for that he thought he was going to be portrayed properly. I don't care what he says. There's no way he thought, all right, we're making a suit for you to wear to pretend to be eaten by an anaconda. And there's no way he thought that was going to look good. But I digress. Large snakes get a lot of play. Uh, big lizards get a lot of play. But we're going to have a small stuff. Snakes under three feet. Uh, lizards... Under six inches. Tortoises, you know, around six inches. Small stuff like pancakes and Russians. We're not going to talk about galops and aldabras, even though they're awesome and I want some. But this whole show is about small stuff. And the three of us, we have a lot of small reptiles. So that's kind of where we're going with this. So we'll introduce ourselves and then we talk a little bit more about what we're going to talk about this on this podcast. But uh, we'll go with Jason first because he's right next to me on the screen. So Jason, introduce yourself to everybody. My name is Jason Miloradovich. I've been uh, keeping... Snakes in particular since uh, about 1996. Uh, the small stuff I keep includes rosies. I've got a pretty diverse collection of those, as well as uh, rubber boas and black Russian sand boas. Um, I've also got some dart frogs, which small would fall under the, the pint size, I guess. Uh, but even some of the larger stuff I keep, the boa imperator and sigma, are also considered dwarfs. So I think my interests have really gone into keeping the smaller, smaller things in general. Travis. What about you? Because since you're on 5 million podcasts, everybody's heard you by now. But still, go ahead and introduce yourself. <laughs> so I'm Travis Wyman. Um, yeah, I've, I've kind of been around on podcasts. Um, I also have been around in the forums for many, 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 many years. Um, What's a forum? <laughs> yeah, Exactly. They're those things that don't exist anymore because Facebook made them go away. It's back when your computer used to scream at you when you logged online. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I tend towards smaller things. Um, I mean, I've been keeping... Well, I caught my first snake when I was five on the, play, on the playground. Um, I've been keeping seriously since I was 14. And I bought a Amel corn snake with my own hard-earned money. And he made it to the ripe old age of 27. So I consider that when I started serious keeping because it takes serious keeping to keep a snake along that, alive that long. Um, but my interests are kind of all over the place. My small stuff is in the realms of smaller colubrids and rubber boas. Uh, got a morning gecko. I actually got the morning geckos as part of a colony so that I could have feeders for a species that never managed to establish out of wild cots. But now yeah. I just have 
couple morning geckos if it's a, around. If it's a small, now you're stuck weird, with the feeders. <laughs> if it's a small weird ass colubrid from Africa, Travis likes it. And Asia. That's right. And Asia. You don't have any house snakes, though, do you? I don't have any house snakes. You gotta fix that. See, and I thought about them for a while, but like when I when they first caught my eye, it was probably God. I want to say. 15, 18 years ago. And that was right when they like suddenly became stupid popular. Yeah. And it was like, everybody was treating them like the next corn snake. And I had seen how the corn snake market had kind of become this whole morph race, crazy game. And that's just not my thing. So I was, I was just kind of decided to take a hands-off approach and let other people do that. Because I just I didn't want to fight and struggle with people who were more interested in playing games with them than keeping them. Yeah, they're a cool snake. I got my first one this year, and uh, I've wanted them for a while. But we'll do an episode on them. But they're a really cool small snake that I didn't realize I was going to like as much as I do. Uh, but if you like pythons or corn snakes, or if you like both of them, that's a house snake. But so yeah, they're s- definitely not really colubrids. No, they uh. It definitely reminds me much of like just a miniature python. But anyways, myself, I am James Lewis. I, if you've heard, I've got the Reptile Gumbo podcast, so that's where I'm normally on. And this is on the Reptile Gumbo network uh, when it does finally come out, which should be around Christmas time. We, uh, but I keep small stuff. I keep a lot of small stuff. I keep mostly Samboas. I've got Kenyan Samboas, Indian Samboas, Rough Scale Samboas. I've got a Black Russian Samboa from Jason. Uh, let's see, I've got Rosy Boas, Mexican Rosy Boas. I've got the House Snake. I think that's it for little stuff until something else pops up. But, and then I've got some bigger stuff. I've got uh, Boa Imperator and Rainbow Boas, Corn Snakes. Uh, I do have a few of those uh, unmentionable snakes that curl up into a small ball. But, uh, well, I mean, I had some of those too. I thought we were just talking about the small stuff that we have. I've got some bigger things. I just want everybody to know that uh, I do own horrible things in my collection as well. Secretly your favorite. (laughs) No. Now, there are some out there that just because I know Travis. Well, it's funny because Travis, you're not a morph guy, but you do own ball pythons for morphs. Well, I'm I'm a morph guy, but I'm a morph guy for myself. So my principal thing with ball pythons is albinos. And, you know, it. Sh- I've always had a thing for albinos. Like I said, my first corn snake was an amel. Um and pretty much the majority of my collection for ball pythons is to work albino into what I've got. So, you know, yeah, I play with morphs with them, but I'm not doing it for the morph game. I'm doing it for my own edification. And you mean you didn't buy two pastels thinking you're going to be a millionaire? No. Oh, okay. Because I... that's pretty much the plan, I think, is you buy two it pastels. Is. And it's, it's totally the plan. Maybe yeah, a hot pied. I'm not going to lie, I kind of hate having to sell off my excess stuff because I just, it's such a pain in the ass to try and sell snakes. And It really is. It's, I, have, I have really good morphs, and that makes it even harder. Like, you know, this year I made three world's firsts, and I'm only keeping one of them, and I've got the other two up, and I'm not just going to sell them out for bottom of the market prices because I don't want everybody to just lose their shit on me for selling 
absolutely unique animals for, you know, $400. But it's such a pain to have, you know, a thousand, two thousand, four thousand dollar snakes sitting up on Morph Market because I know that the fight to get somebody to really want to buy that is just. Oh, yeah. So I don't care if they sit in my rack. <laughs> well, it can, it can even be a pain in the ass with a hundred dollar snake too. Like it can. You'll get folks contact. A hundred dollar snakes, I'll just I'll wholesale them. I don't care. You're one of those. Like the difficulty with the hundred dollar snakes is that you're paying seventy five, eighty bucks to ship, ship. it. Yeah. <laughs> But that's usually – I feel like sometimes, though, that if you're selling a $100 snake to someone online and shipping it, it almost means that it's probably going to a better situation than the other way around. Because if that person is willing to pay the same price in shipping, usually they're they're going to give a little more care to that animal. And in that case, I will agree with you. But what almost inevitably happens is the people who are interested in the $100 snake also want you to ship it for that $100. That does happen, too. And then it's just like, dude, if, if you won't even pay the shipping on the snake, then I I don't want to like, fight with you. I'm not making 25 bucks off this animal after all the work I put. That's another thing is, and we can get into throughout this podcast is just the work it takes into some of these. Like when we talk about uh, rubber boas and stuff like that, just the work it takes into raising stuff, some of these things up to breeding age. Yes. You know, that's... Or even prices. if you're, if you are selling rubber boas, I mean, just getting it up to you know, that's a long-term commitment that's where true. you take like, for yeah. example, a ball Python, I mean, you're what, two, three months and you could sell one, you know, you're talking half a year before a rubber boa or more. I mean, I've had, uh, oh, yeah. I think, uh, nine months was the longest I had one go from birth before it ate. Damn. So it's a long time. Yeah. So we'll, so we'll talk about more about those things as we get to different species about some of the issues. And we'll, uh, through this podcast, we plan on bringing in people, that have experience with all of these because we don't have experience with all the species we want to talk about. We've got a handful of the small stuff, but there's a lot of the things out there that are interesting. And we'd like to get folks that have experience keeping, breeding long-term and can bring more to it. Uh, at, at no point is this podcast uh, to say that we are experts on any of these species <laughs> that we talk about. Uh, hey, I'm here to learn. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, the only reason I, get, I, mean, I got Travis here so that he is... He's the smart person. Like the two of us can just sit around and Travis is going to say big words and we'll sound intelligent. It's going to be great. Everybody needs a doctor. <laughs> I'm smarter by osmosis. <laughs> but I, I don't, I don't want people to hear this and go, Oh, they're talking about whatever the species is. And they think they know everything. Not true at all. And that's not even true about anything that I've kept for, you know, almost 20 years. You know, I've, I've had rainbow boas since early two thousands. I am no way an expert on rainbow boas, but I mean, I can keep them alive for a long time. So, got to be doing something right. So, we'll share it's, as we go through like these pieces. Said, it's not about being the experts here. Yeah. Um, the goal is to, you know, like like you said at the beginning, um, people are more into, or know reptiles more for the big things. The, you know, the big in-your-face gregarious things. But there's so much more in the reptile hobby that honestly are better pets for people, especially people coming in on the intro end. Um, you know, so thinking smaller sometimes is a better thing. And, you know, apartment keepers, you know, yeah. there's this recent revolution in like nano reef tanks and stuff like that. You know, a tank, a fish tank that you can have sitting on your desk at work. Well, while you probably don't want to have a cage of geckos at work, you could have a cage of geckos in your home office 
And it's a really good thing because, you know, having that little bit of nature in your office probably make you feel a little better coming over it. But you don't need this giant, you know, rack system to keep a handful of small little geckos that are nice and easy to take care of and can give you the same interest and introduction to reptiles that we've all had at some point. And I think by the nature of being a smaller pet too, you can, um, it's easier to set up a, a cage that gives them a lot more space, which means you're going to observe those a lot differently than you would, you know, a big snake in a small cage. Definitely. Because you know, if you have say a retic or an anaconda, I mean, even a big cage for those, they're still limited and cramped where, you know, take the dart frogs, for example, like we set up the bioactive and, you know, it's really fun to watch them, you know, climb the walls and be on the rocks and, you know, it's uh you can see, observe a lot more closer to what they're probably doing in nature. Well, and it's, it allows, like I said, you do like morning geckos or the, or dart frogs. It gives you something to watch too. Any of those people that have ever had a fish tank and, you know, you just get drawn into watching your fish tank. It can be the same way when you have a small colony of dart frogs or I've seen it with those little tiny, those little electric blue geckos. Uh, those things come running out and darting out, especially like when feeding. Uh, it can be really interesting to watch versus when you walk in. Look, when I walk in and watch, look at my cage with my boa in it, my big boas, they're they're just sitting there. They're not going to be doing sitting anything. Around, yep. And if I come back in three hours, their ass is still going to be sitting there. But you can sit there and watch dart frogs all day, moving around, interacting with each other. And it's taking up a relatively small space in your house. And so I think uh, the, the small reptiles do. They get under they get underappreciated because of the big stuff is, is showy. And you see that at, uh, at shows all the time, too. There's a lot of things that people just walk by. And don't exist, don't know they exist, uh, because they want to see the table covered in retics or covered or in... Or the guy walking around with a berm draped over his shoulders, I mean... Exactly. Yeah, if I, if I walk around <laughs> with the rubber bow in my hand, no one's going to see it. It's, it's, especially if it's a baby, it's almost skin tone and it's the size of a finger, so no one's going to see that thing. It's a uh, nightcrawler. <laughs> yeah. Why are you holding a worm? Yeah. That's another thing I, I get, so with small snakes, all the time I get, well, they're worms. I'm like, um, so what? I don't. Care. That's that's another thing for this podcast is, I think a lot of people get into certain reptiles on peer pressure. Uh, they're told what is cool, and therefore, if they don't think it's cool, they can't fit into the cool crowd. And uh, that's really been drawn, I think, with like retics. That's a big one. You know, there's a big push. It's, it's kind of died down a little bit, I think, now. But there's a big push that only a retic is cool, or you weren't manly yeah. unless you had a big retic in your collection. Yeah. 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 So. I definitely don't go into that. I mean, I've got well, like 30-something sand boas. I don't care if anybody thinks I'm manly because I've got snakes that fit in the palm of my hand. But I think that's what people need to learn, they, they, to like what you like and learn about other reptiles because you don't know what you like. like Travis, no one's heard of half the stuff he owns, uh, but he loves that stuff, and it's really interesting things. And we'll talk about them, like snakes that can stab you at some point. But... Or the black Russian sambo is that you have, Jason. Not a lot of folks know this, but you show them a picture of a super black Russian sambo, and they go, oh, that's really cool looking. Especially the super blacks. There's a big wow factor with those. And they're, they're neat. And they're, um, they're just almost an anomaly for the sambo world because they do, you know, they winter. So, Yeah, they, uh, I'm, not, I'm not looking forward to when I have to breed those eventually. I already... I already had to get over my uh, wintering my rubber boas, and I'm good with that. I haven't even checked on my rubber boas in a few days. They're in the fridge at like 45 degrees, and 
It's practice for the Black Russians. I know. <laughs> the fact that you said it's been a few days, I put mine away two weeks ago, and I haven't even opened the closet. Like, yeah. I'm just like, you're fine. <laughs> It'll be alive in three months when I come back. It's fine. Yeah, that's so that's that's one of those things I think in this hobby that there are some key, key reptiles that do need to exist in the hobby because they are a big part of why the hobby is what it is. Uh, as much as I shit on ball pythons, I've said it before, we don't have the hobby that we have now without ball pythons but they're not the That's only true. snake out there and you're seeing that now you're seeing a lot of ball python people realize oh this is really cool let me get this and you're starting to see ball python people with other things on their table because they found these other interests and i think the small stuff deserves its spot because there's a lot of really interesting things that are small and i don't think they should a lot of times especially price-wise people don't want to pay you know they'll pay three thousand dollars for a retic but they wouldn't pay $3,000 for a snake that's only two foot long full grown. Even if it was the same amount of time to grow up, even if the smaller one is harder to get, harder to breed, harder to take care of, there's this idea that if all of it's small, it should be cheap. Uh, and so I'm hoping we can kind of overcome that as well, because I don't think really anything in this hobby should be cheap. I think that sends the wrong image as a pet. And I remember the years. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Green iguanas were like twenty five bucks. So if it died, eh, not twenty five bucks. Mm-hmm. So it's colcadas. Yeah, that's oh man, and I love oh, my colcadas. Around fifty bucks for so long. Yeah, and it's just, and that's another one that's crazy. Uh, that one's crazy because it starts out as a pint sized reptile, a really pint sized mm-hmm. reptile, and then it turns into this two hundred pound behemoth that people are like, oh, I can't take care of this. That's another. I, I at least with the pint sized reptiles, maybe uh, you have a better chance of long-term captive care because uh, there's a lot of reptiles that once they reach a certain size they're like oh i'll just get rid of it once it reaches that size which is i've always blown my mind that you will raise an animal for so long ago i'll get rid of it and get a new one and that happens all the time with retakes and sulcatas and that is weird because it is a commitment i mean you take an animal and especially a long-lived animal like a reptile i mean you're making a commitment um you know just as much as you would be with a dog yeah yeah i don't think people understand when they get a bearded dragon that yeah, that bearded dragon's adorable, but done right, it's going to live twenty plus years. Like that's that's yeah. a, if you bought your kid a bearded dragon, it's going to college with them. It it could very well go to their first house and marriage and their first kid with them. Yeah, I mean that's that's my my first cord snake. Like yeah. I, said, I bought him when I was fourteen. He went through junior high, through high school, through college, moved with me to Atlanta. Through a marriage, through the birth of my child, through a move up to Maryland, through a divorce, <laughs> <laughs> through grad school. I mean, this is, I, I, yeah, he, he, he outlived two dogs and three cats. Well, and uh, outside of family, how many people have you even known that long? That's true. You know? That you still even talk time. to, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, yeah, I've got... Four guys that I could say <laughs> That's that it. I have I, I have legitimately kept in touch with that long in my life. Like yeah, my rainbow. But that corn snake was a constant for those all those years. I mean, mm-hmm. well, and that corn snake was a constant, and a uh, and it started the passion for this whole for what you're where you're where you're at now, which I think is always interesting to the, to talk to people about their first reptile and see where they're at now. Folks that have larger collections now to go back to their first reptile because a lot of times their first reptile wasn't. Uh, bought as a plan of I want to have hundreds. It was bought of it's true. I, My first really was cool. from the mall. Yeah, yeah. 
my first was from a random expo that I went to, and it was a just a I want a reptile, and so I bought a Brazilian rainbow boa baby, and he lived to be seventeen, died this year. But I've got his offspring in the other room. I mean, he went through high school, college. I moved to two different states. I mean, I've gone several different jobs, like Travis said, and I mean, my daughter got to see him. So I mean, I had this snake since high school, and my daughter got to see him when she was. Uh, old enough to see it. So that's just kind of a cool idea that these animals are long-lived and they can be passed through the family. Like, my tortoises are going to have to get passed to my daughter at some point. They're going to outlive me. And maybe her kids. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think maybe with these smaller reptiles that we're going to talk about, they're going to be easier for people to keep long-term. They're going to be easier for people to be like, oh, that's fine. I can move these to this house, this apartment, multiple times uh, without feeling like they have to get rid of them. That's another thing I've never understood. Uh some of the reasons that people get rid of things, uh, kids being one, I've never understood that, as all three of us have kids. I've never understood the, I own this animal, but I'm about to have a kid. I need to rehome it. I was surprised when we uh, had our first son how many people asked me if I was going to get rid of all my snakes. Me at too. That point. All so the time. I do that? Well, there's a baby in the house, and there's snakes in the house, and there will be. <laughs> all and th- a lot of that's a misinformation. Yes. Like, you know, that's true. We all know that reptiles carry salmonella but you know but i'm not slash, licking my reptiles yeah i'm, Man, one, I'm not licking my reptiles how many like, people have actually gotten it from reptiles is the question like that was always a huge thing when you were a kid salmonella. i've never met a single person who has i actually looked that up for another thing and if you look at the statistics and this is straight off of the cdc website more people get salmonella from like supermarket chicken then get it from reptiles. Got to be. And and, and, it and, can't, and it can't be one of those like, well, because more people come in contact with a chicken. I get that. But the the reptile side has got to be almost nothing. I, I, I think <clears throat> the largest direct outbreak attributed to reptiles, and it it's a really broad umbrella that they're attributing to, because it's basically the entire country, was 48 people in a year. Mm-hmm. Well, you remember as a kid, it was always uh, turtles. It was always the assumption. Like, that's what led to all those weird turtle rules where you can't, in most places, you can't uh, have a turtle yeah, over four, four, inch four inches. Yeah, the four inch rule. You know, Unless it's, it's educational. You know, it's like I said, it's the misinformation thing. You know, yeah, they, they carry salmonella, but, you know, dogs and cats carry salmonella too. Cats carry a lot of worse stuff. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you hear about. You know, how many people do you know get rid of their cats because their wife got pregnant? But toxoplasmosis can cause birth defects and spontaneous abortion in pregnant women. Yeah, you're told so not to change we, litter when you're pregnant. Right. You know, you just you just have to be intelligent. You know, don't go licking your snake. Nobody goes and licks their snake. But, you know, if you've got kids. A weird fetish. Yeah. I mean, maybe somebody does. I, yeah, no judgment. They're out there. <laughs> but, like, you know. If you're going and you're handling your turtle or your lizard or your snake or something, wash your damn hands. Yes. And you should be doing that anyways, but if you're a pregnant woman or if your wife is pregnant, you know, wash your hands. It's it's not that hard. You know, I would say that the next intelligent step is, you know, if you have anything that's hot or even, I hate using the term warm, but, you know, anything that could potentially be a problem, you teach your kids early and immediately. They don't go in the room by themselves. They don't 
touch anything by themselves. They don't go opening drawers or cages by themselves. It's just, yeah. you know, but it's the same thing as you don't, you teach your kid not to walk up to a dog that they don't know. You teach your kid not to just grab food out of the dog bowl when it's time for the dog to eat. I had to teach my kid not to just reach into the tank at Petco when they open up the snake enclosure. Right. Because she know, totally did that at like three years old. They open it up to get a snake out for me and she just goes to reach. No, stop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but th- that comes down to good parenting and we don't always see that. Yeah. I What drives it. So I fully respect people understanding their limitations. So that's not, that's not where we're coming from. Like I give people going, well, I can't do this because of kids, because I know this situation. I get that. But then to the one that gets me is, well, I can't have this snake because my kid always gets into stuff. Well, you, there are plenty of ways to keep your kid from getting into an enclosure. There's a million different ways to keep a kid from getting into an enclosure or into a room where the enclosures are at. It just yes. takes you putting forth effort. Uh, well, and this is really a hobby that, um, lends itself well to sharing the experience with your children. And that's I mean, yes. all three of my, my sons really enjoy this. And uh, I mean, sometimes I'm cleaning cages and it's almost like it's, it's taken me longer to have them help, but it's, <laughs> you know, it's fun. It's fun to spend that time with them and to teach them about it. And it, you know, it makes them view things in a little different way too. Like uh, just this week, my, my 10 year old reports on geckos that he's working on and just uh, you know, he's got this passion that's brewing in him. And I think, part of that is just seeing mine even though i'm not a gecko person that's kind of where he's leaning and it's it's fun to watch fun to watch that grow and that's where the, the payout as a parent when it comes to this and and with these small reptiles it's a lot of times very easy to do these reptiles with a child because they're not going to be something that you're like that a kid could get hurt by because i'm not gonna lie there are definitely animals that can definitely hurt a kid and there have been instances in the past where it's happened but it hasn't happened from a corn snake it hasn't happened from a sand boa. Like there was no, oh God, this child got choked out by a Kenyan sand boa. So these are also great for that. But though I think the big payout as a parent when you're keeping these reptiles and have kids is the moment they use that information with someone else. Yes. Uh, like yes. My <laughs> my daughter had to correct her teacher because they were she's in the fifth grade and they were doing some a very very rudimentary version of genetics. And my daughter corrected her teacher and told her she was wrong. And she, my daughter was 100% right because she understood snake genetics from when we breed certain things. And she understood how yep. recessive and dominant traits work. And the way that her teacher, the answer on the question was, my daughter was 100% right. And they had to correct the test question and, <laughs> and give my daughter that's points. Great. <laughs> I was like, that's awesome. So th- those moments exist because of this hobby and because of these animals. And, I, and that's one thing I think uh, you're starting to see more families at shows which is really cool you know when when i got into reptiles it was definitely weird ass dudes walking around shows like that was that was the main uh group of people just weird ass dudes not families and you definitely see like families now coming in and getting their kid their first lizard but that's not just the kid like the mom is super excited about this lizard or this corn yeah. snake uh and that's a huge shift in the hobby and that's the shift in the hobby that's going to keep the hobby alive uh there are a lot of people i think lose sight of that or don't understand that and and they get upset when they see a normal family coming in and wanting to get an animal and it's not this cool three thousand dollar ball python but they want this like twenty five dollar corn snake and they can't grasp the concept that that family buying that twenty five dollar corn snake is the future of the hobby you getting this five thousand dollar ball python is not mm-hmm. uh, yep. we got to normalize this hobby and i think that there are certain animals that would help normalize the hobby better than some of the animals that are more abundant in the hobby you know i don't think 
big boas and retics and berms are going to normalize the hobby. No. And they make great pets. I mean, uh, Travis mentioned earlier that, you know, the small reptiles work well for people who live in apartments. Um, but in general, too, people with uh, allergies or maybe you travel a lot. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that reptiles are actually better pets than a lot of other animals, in my opinion. 100%. Yeah, I'd love that when I go on a trip, I can just go for like four or five days. Nah, they'll be fine. So just don't worry about it. Yeah. Especially snakes. Lizards, a little more pain in the butt. But uh, once they're adults, you can go a little longer than some of the small yeah. babies. But with snakes, I'm like, yeah, I'm gone for a week. I'm gone for two weeks. And I'll be good. Yep. As long as they have water. Yeah. You're going to be fine. Um, years ago, I used to take in uh, unwanted reptiles. Or, you know, I've not an it. official rescue, but I would, you know, people were trying to, like you mentioned, you know, they get a certain size. People are going to get rid of them. And I've ended up with different boas, iguanas, and things like that. And through that, I got a, uh, a parrot at one time. And I will never do that again. I mean, <laughs> you talk about a demanding pet. And uh, I just, I love the snakes. I mean, I, go in there and you check on them and some of them are eaten once a month and you know there's just they're very low maintenance they don't smell i mean there's not a lot of odor associated with the reptiles at all yeah, that's, as long as you just you always get the well they smell bad well, no not if done correctly yes like, if neglected yeah they might if you breed rats they're gonna oh, smell definitely. but the snakes themselves are just i mean they're they're relatively clean animals my they're frog tank is sitting in the dining good either so well, that's true yeah <laughs> they smell bad doesn't float with me very well and you can smell the litter box from any room in the house in a lot of cases yeah that's nothing the snake shits and we see it and we normally clean it out that day next day cat shits like oh we'll get the litter box in three days but the shit and piss just sitting in like and i've walked into a house and you can smell cat in a house and i've got dogs you can smell dog in a house but reptiles done properly you won't and don't get me wrong early on there was definitely you could walk into my room and and, and smell the room but that was not because reptile smell that was because early on i was not the best keeper i'm a far better keeper than i was younger and i think most people are a far better keeper now than they were when they started i hopefully if you're doing it right there are definitely some that go the other way but they started out with all of these great intentions and uh and then got overwhelmed because that is definitely something that happens in this hobby and I think with the animals we're going to talk about, it's easier to not happen. It's it's much easier to have the collections we have with these animals than if I were to have thirty boa, you know, common boa constrictors. You know, thirty common boa constrictors would, would kill me in in the amount of work it would take. Whereas a rack of thirty sand boas, not so much. So if you're cleaning and feeding and watering a whole rack of say thirty sand boas, uh, an hour maybe, hour and a half. Yeah, maybe yeah, because you're spot cleaners topping off cleaning yeah. out water bowls. That doesn't take very long. And then, you know, you'll do a full change, you know, probably once a month, maybe once every two months, depending on how you're feeding. Because, I mean, if I'm feeding, it's the other great thing I love about boas. It's un unfortunate with the colubrids, you don't get to enjoy this. But with boas, I feed them once a week. They're going to shit once a week. I feed them every two weeks. They're going to shit every two weeks. You feed a colubrid once a week, it's going to shit four times. So mm -hmm. that's another thing with my corn snakes. I'm like, how do y'all shit so much? I only fed you a mouse. That's why they're so skinny. <laughs> my God. But I love I love my my slow growing animals that shit per meal. Although Travis, you have a lot of your stuff in bioactive, right? I mean, it's not a true bioactive because I don't have you know the all the under layers and fabrics and all that stuff. But it's naturalistic. Yeah, um, clean up crews and all. Yeah, I've got a an organic media in there. I've got uh, leaf litter. I've got springtails, millipedes, isopods, 
you know, in a couple of them, I've got live plants and, you know, it helps, you know. So to me, that's even... Do I just, do I just leave giant piles of shit floating around when they're in there? No, I don't. I mean, you know, I've it's got... <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got a pair of brettles in an eight-foot cage. And, you know, I, I check that cage every two days, you know, and I like, literally, when I say I check the cage, I don't mean I just look. You know, I open the door and I crawl my ass in there and I look around hat on and make sure. And crawls around. Yeah. <laughs> now, are those you set know. up on the naturalistic beddings? Yeah. I mean, it's, they've okay. got naturalistic bedding. They've got, like I said, the leaf litter. They've got some giant logs that they love to sprawl out on. You know, the hot spot. Hmm. You know, the I've got a little mini halogen blasting down so that they can get the heat. I've got UV in there. You know, Travis is one of those people. Yeah, you know, I've, got, the, um, I've got the pothos, so it's growing in, looking like a giant, you know, rainforest, which I know I'm going to regret because pothos just overgrows everything. But I figured that, it needed something a little easy more to trim back. Just need to get you, <laughs> they a, are. get you a monkey and, tail skink, and it'll eat all that stuff for you. Yeah, well, I, I put the pothos in with them because you know brettles are big snakes and they're heavy bodied snakes, and I wanted something mm-hmm. that was more resilient. Crush resistant. And I knew that <laughs> yeah. pothos could yeah. stand up to anything that those snakes could throw at it. And, you know, it has, um, you know, and it helped like, but when I opened that cage to look in, I mean, somebody, the female could have let fly and just released a five pound monster in there. And you wouldn't know because it doesn't reek because yeah, you know, the cleanup mm-hmm. crews in there and the, the organic matter in there, but also because I go in there, I find it and I take it out and I don't let it just sit there. Yeah. For days and weeks and months on end. Well, and I think yeah. uh, that's even another positive for pint-sized reptiles, small stuff. Um, you've got a small bioactive with frogs or with geckos or even some of the small snakes. If you have a cleanup crew in there, their waste is very small. They're, you may not have to clean it. Now, if you see a pile, clean it up. But if you don't get to it in a few days, it's going to get eaten by isopods. Whereas like, if you own a Burmese python and you're like, I'm going to do it on bioactive, you're still cleaning shit. There's no way... <laughs> uh, that isopods are taking care of a Burmese pie. or a boa. Like my big boas, when they would go, like, there's no way isopods are cleaning that up. It's just not happening. Yeah, the only way you could neglectfully do bioactive with something like a berm would be if you had like a, a 10 by 10 room and you'd need a lot more than just isopods. I mean, you'd need like dung beetles. Yeah. You'd need, you'd need a lot of stuff. Yeah. That, so I think that's another positive on, on the small side. I mean, you can do these really cool setups that really, once they're set up, you're feeding and adding water, and and that's about it. It's it, time wise, and that's not to say get these and you can be lazy. That's not the whole point. But many people it's have a different kind of work. Yeah, many of you look. Many of us have lifestyles that don't allow us to put a ton of time into these animals, but we still would love to have them. So maybe you got to find the animal that fits your lifestyle better. You know, I I personally would love to have some sort of monitor, but I know I don't have the time. That that's an animal that takes time and commitment. You got to work with. I don't have that. I've I've got a very busy lifestyle when it comes to work and my family and everything. And I also like to be able sometimes to just sit around and do nothing. So you just got to know strengths and weaknesses. And I think we're going to talk about a bunch of animals in this podcast that will hit different levels of uh, of lifestyles. Some that take a little more time. Some that you can let slide for a few days and you'll still be okay. So. 
But I don't want to. These are going to be fairly short episodes compared to like my other ones, like two hours. So 30 minutes to an hour. We're at 35 minutes. Uh, the big thing is, as you listen to this, this is just to give you more information. I definitely suggest researching anything we talk about, uh, going out and finding more information, find out more stuff that you want to know. And uh, don't just hear someone talk about And this happens on podcasts all the time. Don't just hear someone talk about an animal and go, that sounds fun, and then go get it. Please don't do that. Like, if we mention something, don't just go, oh, I'm going to go, go get it. And then three months into it, you realize it's not the animal you actually wanted. Do some research. Find out about them. Talk to other people. Because, yeah, we're going to talk about our first episode will be rubber boas. They're definitely not for everybody. Uh, now, I think they should be because they're really fucking awesome. But <laughs> if you if you want something way more active with size, it is not your snake. It is not you going- want something that's actually in a cage more than eight months out of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Six to eight months out of the year. Well, it's like, uh, like Samboas. I always get, well, they hide all the time. That's not a good pet. I'm like, it's not a good pet for you. But the hiding all the time is what they do. I don't know. Like I always, it always surprises me with things like like burrowing animals, where they go, "Well, why would you want that? It hides all the time." Well, that's not the determining factor on whether I think it's a cool pet. Like, if I want to see it, I will go get it. That I've never understood the. I I got to be able to see it all the time, or else it's not a good animal to have as a pet. There's a lot of animals, especially if you have a naturalist, or like the dart frogs. We had a dart frog person on on our on the gumbo podcast the other day. Uh, you may not see all of your dart frogs for weeks if it's set up right you'll see one or two but you may not see them all at the same time that's just how that works so i could see one in a tank right over here that um we maybe see these out two three times a week they're just a type that likes to hide a lot so it's interesting that he's out as you're saying that (laughs) so it's still a cool pet even if you don't see it all the time so that's one thing a lot of these are are going to be animals we'll talk about the little geckos all those little geckos hide they are they're really good at hiding uh, I've seen them in cages where they have branches and they just hide on the other side of the branch all day long. And if you go to look at them, they run around to the other side of the branch and you're not going to see them. But every now and then you get to see them dart across and eat and interact with each other. And that's the payoff to me. So our, our goal on this podcast is to bring light to some of these species that people don't normally think of when they think of pet reptiles, species that we find very interesting. Uh, and, and hopefully I'll do it. I mean, again, you don't have to buy something just because someone on a podcast said to buy it. Uh, I'd prefer you didn't right now because I'm still trying to get more rubber boas and I'd prefer some people quit buying them. <laughs> but it can give you different ways to look at it if you've always thought, I want to try something new, but I don't want, you know, a huge space commitment or, mm-hmm. but again, like you said, trying something new is something you do after you research it. And yes. we can, we can start you down that path. You know, we can point you hopefully to people that can help you as you start down that path, but ultimately once you have researched them, if it's the right thing for you, you you mentioned your episode with the dart frog person and, you know, having listened to that just the other day, you know, the more you guys were talking about it and the more you were getting information about it, you could hear Katie like getting more and more into the idea of it. When at the start of it, she was just like flat no. <laughs> yeah, because we we started out that whole thing with like not doing fruit flies, and then we realized, well, if we're just buying fruit flies the same way we buy crickets, and we're not grow, it's 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 a lot like I don't grow my own rodents because that's a pain in the ass. Well, if I don't have to grow my own fruit flies, there's the pain in the ass part that that was really drawing me away from keeping that animal I thought would be really cool. So 
And you can have the fruit flies. You know, I I did. Uh, I had some friends in Atlanta. I he was giving me Azurius tadpoles, and I hated fruit flies. And I was doing um, bean beetles and yeah. springtails, and you know, like you can find alternative feeders now. Trying to feed bean beetles to freshly morphed out froglings does not work well, but you know you can find other things. Um, fire brats, which are very very rarely considered as a feeder, but I know you can find them among some guys. They breed really well. They are taken really well by small, you know, animals. What are they? Fire brats. They're kind of like silver tails. Okay. Um. Huh. You know, they breed really well. You can raise them up nice and easy. They're, but most people like it, it's kind of like the the same thing as a roach concept. You know, people see silver tails around their house oh, and they're just a pest. Yeah. You know, but people see roaches around their house and they're just a pest. But we raise roaches in bins. You can raise a bin. I mean, you can raise a bin full of silver tails. I bet. Yeah, just throw you, some books in there from Need Some Blue, and it'll be good. Yeah, you know, and you know, you've got something like that that you know, isn't going to fly around your house and get up into your kitchen and cause problems as long as you take care of it properly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the fruit flies fall into that too. I mean, they're, I culture my own and they're not, they're not too bad. I just, I had a bad experience in college and I killed a lot of fruit flies. So many fruit flies. So were your dart frogs. <laughs> but- See, and, and I worked on a floor in graduate school that had a fruit fly lab and the damn Things were everywhere. Like the whole floor. You could not yeah. go into a lab without there being damn fruit flies. Yeah. I at least lucked out my, the mutation I had were wingless, but not all the mutations that my classmates had were wingless, which would suck for them. But they're very also, much. Yeah. They're an interesting <laughs> don't worry, they're an interesting thing because you can you can basically freeze them so you can work with them. And then they just come back to life and start flying around and moving around again, which I think is is neat until they fill up your room flying around, then it's probably not as neat. We catch house flies and we'll throw them in the freezer to, you know, cool them off a little bit. And then you can, you know, throw them in the frog tank or whatever. <laughs> a friend of mine used to cut little uh, airplane shapes out of paper. When I was in college, he'd come over. I lived, uh, our street backed up to a, in Greeley. So Travis probably knows Greeley, but it's a, like a ranch town. And so we were, there was a goat field, goat farm right behind us. And so we always had these big, big house flies. So Josh would come over and he'd cut these little things. He'd stun these flies and glue them to the paper. And then they'd wake up. We'd have all these little paper airplanes flying around. <laughs> that's, that's kind of fucked up, but okay. <laughs> things you do when you're younger. Yep. Oh, so anyways, the, <laughs> the whole idea behind this is just, we, we want to give you more information. Plus we like weird ass snakes and we and lizards and stuff. And we want other people to like weird ass snakes and lizards. Uh, because the more people that like them, the more they're going to become a thing in the hobby and the more we can afford some of these. Because uh, I really want Calabar's burrowing pythons and I need somebody, Travis, to breed them so I can get some captive red babies, Travis. So more people that like them, Travis, then I could get captive red babies, Travis. <laughs> I don't know if I implied enough there. But that is it for this. Get to uh, work. <laughs> uh, y'all have anything else to say? Y'all wanna, or if anybody want to get a hold of you and, and talk to you? I know that neither one of you are uh, like crazy about people contacting and talking to you because you're hermits. <laughs> I would like to say I'm excited about this. I think that there's going to be a lot of good content here and um, just things as you alluded to in the beginning that aren't really touched on. Um, but it's uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a, an enjoyable place to learn about some of these smaller animals. Yeah, good to see how smart Travis really is. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but we do we do have a, uh, a Facebook. If anybody wants to contact us through Facebook, there is Pine Size Reptiles Podcast on Facebook. Search it out if you have any questions. If you have any suggestions for a species that you want us to do a special on, uh, let us know. If there's one that we're kind of thinking of, we'll find somebody and we'll we'll talk about it. Um, it's a great idea. But or if you work with one of these yeah. smaller species. If you think people need to know more about it and, and it's not something that's overly common, let us know. We'll, we'll bring in. We'll talk about it. It's, I'm very interested in finding about out about some of these things because I I've, I really like the idea of uh, these smaller animals, these smaller reptiles that just don't get enough play. So, and, and there's not a lot of information on a lot of these small animals out there. So Yeah, it's tricky. We're going to try and cover on our episodes. We'll try and cover uh, the natural history of some of these animals and their history in the hobby and their care. But for some of these, the natural history is is very limited. We can kind of tell you where they live, kind of what the weather is in that area. But there's not a ton of study on some of these as far as natural history is, as to how they actually interact in the wild, what they may actually eat in the wild, which is why a lot of these things mm-hmm. aren't overly prevalent in the hobby right now because we're still learning how to take care of them because we, don't, we can't match what they need. And uh, there are definitely people out there that have figured that out, that have broken that code. So it would be very interesting to talk to those people when we get to certain species of what what it took to get to that point. So that's it. That's all I got for me. Oh, we will uh, get this out. We will be every two weeks is the plan. Every two weeks we will put out an episode. It'll be species specific. Like I said our first one coming up will be rubber boas because the three of us have them and we think they're awesome. Uh, and from that point on, we I promise it will not be all snakes. That was the goal is to not be all snakes. There will be other animals and the things with legs. But, uh, but the first one is a snake. You get criticized on your other uh, podcast for doing too many snakes. <laughs> yeah, that's because I like snakes. The things with legs yeah. take too much time. Yep. But but we will. Which space? <laughs> so we, we've got a list of animals that we want to talk about. But again, reach out to us. Send us messages. Let us know what you think. If there's a species that you like that you want us to talk about, we'll do it. So thanks for listening. Uh, tune in for our next episode, which will be in two weeks from whenever you finally hear this, which should be hopefully I'll have this out around Christmas time. It'll be a nice Christmas gift. Uh, Not to sound stupid, James, should we give them a way to reach out to us? They can go to the Facebook. We told them. Well, you have access to that Facebook. I can't get those messages. I, <laughs> I can add you to the group. You can become a moderator on a group. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> but if they want to get a hold, if they want to reach out to you, Travis, how would they reach out to you in your weird ass email? Uh, you can get me on Facebook, Travis Wyman. I am not the motocross racer. Don't ask him questions about reptiles. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Snakes and Bakes. Yes. Um, you can email me, A-S-P-L-U-N-D-I-I at Gmail, Asplundii. Yeah, laugh at it. <laughs> Craig said every time, like, that's, that's got to be one of those where, like, you go, you know, you go to the, like, the phone store, go wherever, and they ask you for your email, and you just you just automatically start spelling your email instead of telling them your email. Yes. Yeah. Well, look. Okay. This is my other hobby and only a nerd would have a book this big about you know one genus of plants god that is, that is but have you so, read it so boring i have not read it cover to cover but i have because he fell asleep in the first chapter more than 70 percent of the species in here yes there's been many times travis has just fallen asleep halfway through the first chapter he's read that first chapter 15 times <laughs> oh Jason, if they want to get a hold of you and ask you about super black Russian Samboas. Uh, you can, I'm on Facebook, uh, Jason Milorodovich. Um, good luck spelling. Yeah, I was, I was like, good also, luck. <laughs> yes. You can also find me at top line constrictors on Facebook and uh, top line constrictors at gmail.com. Okay. So reach, reach out to us. If you have any questions, if you have any suggestions, uh, we'll talk, 
to ourselves on the next episode. And thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>